Hi, everybody. Just a quick announcement before we begin. The episode you're about to hear got, I think, unexpectedly pretty intense. I know Anthony was surprised. I kind of surprised myself. And so we forgot to give you your homework assignment, what to watch between the time you listen to this episode and next week's episode. So here it is. In the next edition of Rated P for Paranormal, we'll be talking about the movie Possessor Uncut. This is Brandon Cronenberg's new film. It's available to rent or buy on Prime Video and Vudu. So check out Possessor Uncut, and we will talk about that and the paranormal themes that it addresses in our next episode. That's your homework assignment. Get to work. Afternoon, everybody. Hey. I think you're supposed to yell Norm. Am I? That's a thing that I don't uh, know anything about. Really? Uh, uh, Cheers, the great uh, Boston sitcom from the 80s? It's a TV show, right? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have seen that. Afternoon, everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm Maddie Blake. And with me, of course, is my friend and partner, uh, Anthony Arkin. Hello. Uh, I used to open my radio show. I had a terrestrial radio show here in Boston, Afternoon Drive. And I used to open it by going, Afternoon, everybody. And everyone would go, Norm. Because uh, it was a, a, you know, a wink to that show and to our sensibility of loving 80s pop culture and things like that. It was, yeah, it was kind of an amalgam of things. So I don't know why that was just on my brain. A terrestrial show? Uh, meaning, oh, do I have my own <laughs> Maddie f- fact of the day? I don't have a theme song for you, but uh, I'd like to hear what it is. I'll work something up for, for next episode. Just do what I do. Make a totally crappy uh, piece of imaging and screw it up and then just keep that one and play that one forever. Um, I think I can do better than that, but just tell us your story. And now it's time for Maddie's term of the day. <laughs> Terrestrial radio meaning, you know, good old-fashioned radio, FM band. You know, now you have to kind of dif- differentiate because there's, I suppose, online stuff. Uh, satellite XM, Sirius XM, so you got to say terrestrial. You know what? I, I disagree. I think that the thing that came first, that it's old and tired, should not have to adjust what they're called. They're radio. I think that's radio, and there, you know, if you want to say that uh, that digital radio is something else, then you got a new name for that. Make me call radio something else. I don't know what you're talking about. One thousand percent agree with you. I think radio should just say radio, and then it's up to Sirius and those people to say, well, satellite radio. In fact, I had this fight the other day in another forum with a guy. He plays disc golf where you throw the Frisbees at targets. And he goes, well, you're a ball golfer. I said, no, 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 <laughs> no. I'm a golfer. You're a disc golfer. I think that's this. I think we're talking the same language. Good. Thank you for listening to our Christmas special gremlins. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know for a fact that some people disagreed with our take because they love that movie. And we'd love to hear from you if that's the case. Um, I know a lot of you listened. Our numbers were great, even uh, on Anchor, which is our hosting platform, which most of our listenership uh, doesn't listen specifically on Anchor. And yet those numbers continue to climb. So I'm excited and I just want to thank you uh, if you found us now. And yeah, welcome aboard. Wow. Hey, thank. that's great. That's great news. Thanks for mentioning that. And thanks for, li- for listening, people. That's really cool. It is. It's fun and exciting. I think people are starting to spread, it, spread the word. And um, 
find us and do we're doing this the old-fashioned way tony i love it just good old-fashioned elbow grease and just putting it out there yeah yeah i originally we were gonna just do it with tin cans and a string and then we said let's not go that old-fashioned yes i don't know if i told you this i spent uh the money we had uh pooled together to do this i spent about 600 grand of it on this on this pr firm um it was actually a guy i met in a target parking lot right and he sold me the PR package out of the back of his car. Mm-hmm. Right. He deal guy deals exclusively in cash. Yeah, exclusively in cash. He said he he heard me say podcast, and he goes, "Hey, you a podcast guy?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, sir." And he just seemed uh, on the ball. Yeah, that's my. He's you met my manager. That sounds like my manager. I don't know what he was doing in a parking lot, but uh, yeah, he said, "Well, I'm current. I'm I'm totally going to get that money back." You you yeah. It's a, this is this is a very uh, above board business, the entertainment business. Oh, yeah. Oh, nothing untoward goes on in showbiz. Speaking of things untoward going on, uh, we'll be talking about the show Evil, which is a streaming show about the paranormal. We've given you guys a few weeks uh, notice on this one. Hope you got to catch some of it. And uh, Tony, I had an idea today. Since this show, which we will get into in the second half, and I have some hot takes on this show. I mean, sizzling hot. I'm throwing fastballs right out of the gate on this one. Okay. But I thought before we get there and in the second half, talk about that show specifically, this show deals in a potpourri, if you will, of paranormal topics in a sense. Um, and so I thought it would be perfect for us to kind of go in that direction and, and talk a little bit about the different areas that evil dwells in or addresses, including miracles, evil, of course, the title possessions would fall into that category. Demonic possession, straight up. There's a lot of that in the show. Yeah. So let's let's kind of just chat about those. I know you did some reading up on this and I did some too. Um, one thing that happened off air is you were asking me about something the other day um, about a specific area that we were going to talk about paranormally. And you said, do you know a good book on that topic? And I realized I have a library um, in my house, a mini, you know, small library of modest bookshelves, if you will. And um, for those of you who watch me on the Curse of Oak Island, you've seen me do some things from home um, from time to time during COVID, like we did last season's season finale, me and the Laginas and members of the Fellowship of the Dig, we had to broadcast from our homes because of COVID, the, the season finale. We did it via Skype, basically. And um, I have, I always have that. That's where I film things if I'm going to do something like that. So those of you who are fans of that show have seen my little bookshelves uh, over my shoulder. And... I would say, Tony, conservatively, like 60% of those books deal in some form of paranormal or at least bent towards religion or, or things you can't explain, you know, mystical type things. Um, I don't have a heck of a lot of, you know, engineering books. <laughs> it's all pretty out there. If you didn't know me and you went to my house, you're like, wow, look at this guy. Um, so I'm looking at that bookshelf now. And I was thinking that kind of as we record this, if something comes up, I can suggest uh, books that deal in that area. And I'm going to actually read a couple things that I've pulled from those books here um, that deal in the subject. Some really exciting like possession stuff that I've, I've highlighted. Great. Why don't we just start? Why don't, let's dive right into it. Well, I'm fascinated, you know, because I mean, just to, to for, for my end, I know this is something that you've actually studied and you actually know, I think you said you know somebody who either knows people in the church that perform exorcisms or I'm forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but you've, you've, you've talked about this before with me. So I'm really curious to see what your take is on how the show handles that. 
when we get to the show part of it, but also um, your, your take on it in general. So I'm, I'm just fascinated. Yeah. Awesome. Because yes, I I've mentioned that before that I did have occasion to have a short relationship with a priest who was involved in a lot of this stuff. Um, he was kind of like the real life version of what's fictionalized and evil, if you will, a priest who, or in this case, in the show's case, a, a, a wannabe priest, a becoming a priest, uh, investigating claims of miracles and possessions and apparitions, things like that. So yeah, I did know a man like that. He's actually mentioned in one of these books. So I, I would fire these questions at him based on this stuff. And his answers were so nonplussed, so thrown away as if this stuff is just, is what it is, man. You know, I'm just like, I just couldn't get enough of it. I was very careful. I didn't, you know, I could sense when he would get a little and shift in his seat a little bit. Cause he would say things like, well, you can't, you know, he would say things like you can't let uh, miracles be the basis of your faith. You can't let the unexplained be the basis of your faith because the unexplained just probably points to our ignorance more than anything else. And when things you can't explain, you attribute that to God. And then those things are explained by science. Where are you then? Your faith life should be bolstered by scientific discoveries. We believe that there's a God that created all this. Of course, there'd be order to it. Of course, it would be provable. Of course, it'd be explainable. Don't run from science. Embrace it. Well, it seems very logical, doesn't it? I mean, the natural world. It, it seems to really be a logical place. Uh, tough, <laughs> vicious, and mean, but logical a lot of the time. I mean, it's too heady for this form, I think, and I'm not intellectual enough to describe it, but you touch upon, I think, what this show deals with and what we'll talk about today is that, and, and what you mentioned there is, is when you say tough, you know, that's, that's, if you're an atheist or you're non-believer, what comes with that is biology. Like everything is biology. Everything is chemistry and everything is physics. So therefore, there is no me. We are just pure biology. And I know that a lot of people won't quite go that far. They're like, I don't believe in the religion of my childhood. But when I think of my wife and children as not people, as just biological bodies, animals, I can't go that far. So then we start asking ourselves questions, you know, God or no God. And I put God in quotes. This isn't a religious, even though I'm Christian, I'm not trying to convert anyone. I'm just saying it begs questions, God or no God, right? Um, so... I think that's kind of the whole purpose of this show in a way is like, um, and this discussion in a lot of ways is kind of wrestling with that. And I think it's really fascinating. Like that's the only reason I study this stuff. Cause I just find it endlessly fascinating. Yeah, I, I do too. It, I guess that it is a little rich for this, for this show, but this show, we know we do brush up against this stuff, you know, in almost every episode, because we're talking about, you know, the potentiality for these things these experiences or these things that are in these movies either being possibly true or having some basis in reality. So we're, we're trying to get, a, get to the bottom of some of it, you know, um, suffice to say, I don't think we're going to crack you know, possession, the, the, you know, the issue of possession on this show. The thing that I've found in, in, in the little research that I've done in the last few days is that it's not, you know, it's not a question of a Catholic, a Catholic exclusive um, philosophy. Uh, I thought it was, I guess, or I assumed that it was a, a, a thing that the Catholic Church did in the past and was 
I knew they were amping up a lot of exorcisms lately. There's actually apparently been a resurgence in, um, in that methodology recently in the last few years. Um, but what I've discovered is that it exists in almost every culture and in almost every religion or philosophy or, you know, philosophy it's, it's in, um, apparently in, uh, in Buddhism and the Jewish faith that's in, um, Hinduism. Uh, I, I, I think it's in Islam as well. I, I think this concept of demonic possession or somebody needing to be exorcised from, uh, demonic control is, a is a very ancient and a worldwide phenomenon. Is that, is that true? Is that what you've also discovered? That jibes exactly with what I've learned about it over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. And that there are, you know, African rites of exorcism. There are Scandinavian rites. There are, you know, uh, go back as far as you want. Yeah. And certainly, you know, in new age stuff and, 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 uh, things I've seen like in shamanism that exists also, um, not in just the, like the main religions, but I think in, in offshoots of different religions and in, 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 uh, um, nature religions too. So, I mean, that's really interesting to me. I've that, that's the kind of thing that makes me feel like, as we've discussed before, I think this becomes a, a question of like, of language almost more than anything else, because you start talking about atheism and your belief in God. It's like, I, I always end up just going like, well, define your terms and nobody is using the same term handbook Everybody seems to be using a different set of terms for some of these philosophies or feelings or ideas. And so I think that's part of why there's a lot of miscommunication about it. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just find that really interesting when you see um, elements of this discussion or other things we'll talk about that appear throughout history all over the world. Then I feel like there's something more to talk about because it's not just stemming from one you know, one branch of faith or one perhaps like, you know, crazy offshoot of some religion that went its own way and, you know, has its own set of very human rules. But this is just every, it's, it's in, it's in every culture, which is, which is fascinating. I mean, maybe that's just how pre-science people uh, dealt with psychological problems or that was their language for it because there, there wasn't a medicine that had been developed or a terminology for mental health yet. I don't, I don't know, but that's also part of what the show's about and what we'll talk about too, I guess is, is that overlap between is this a psychological disturbance or is this actually possession? And that's one of the things the show really does talk about. Yeah. And that's where this gets really fascinating. And like you said on this podcast before, I'm going to quote you, you said um, about a different topic, but you said, yeah, you know, we like to name things, don't we? And, and I think that's really astute and it's true. Like if there are, if there is, if there does exist a purely biological, psychological explanation for the things that happen during what we call possession, then I think everybody would be in line to say, good, let's deal with that. You know, uh, and yet there are things that seem to be outside that. And, and in some cases, the thing names itself. And so we call it that. 
but you're right. When you look at the totality of history of this stuff, you, it does make you go, wait a second. Just like we were saying about other topics, like, boy, when it's this consistent and keeps turning up again and again, and all these different cultures and all these different forms, it almost becomes semantics at a point, what we call it. Right. Kind of. I, I, I feel like, yeah. I mean, in another way, because I'm not, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not having been brought up Catholic or in any, in any religion that, that, uh, that deals in this stuff, it, you know, it, it does sound really, really out there, you know, and, but what becomes strange is the, are the things that we just, you know, as people that, you know, have an open mind, let's say, and I know you and I both do, I, 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 I'm, um, I, I, I kind of consciously maintain what I guess I refer to as a healthy skepticism just on purpose, because I feel like that's, that's, that helps me to not get excited about um, stories that uh, may or may not be true. Yeah. I don't, maybe that's just because I don't want to look foolish. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm, I, my skepticism is not, um, is not attached to any kind of atheistic vibe. I don't, I, I feel like there's a lot of truth in a lot of these things. And as I've said before, not every story that we're going to hear is true, but that doesn't mean that the whole thing doesn't have some kind of truth or a deeper truth that we don't know yet, but are starting to figure out. Um, Cause like once you go, well, I think I've seen, I, you know, I, I do think I've seen a ghost. Uh, you do too, I think. Um, I'll tell that story in entirety one day when we cover something like it, but you know, I wasn't alone. It was an experience I shared with somebody. And so, um, I had this weird experience. Now I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do with it. I I'd be interested if somebody could tell me not debunk it because I'm not bunking it. Like I don't, I don't have a stake in it. I saw something I can't explain. If somebody could explain it, I'd be fascinated, um, to know the answer, but, Hold on. That's the first I ever heard that. And I want that quoted in a t-shirt. That is brilliant. We always say debunking, but I'm not bunking it in the first place. That's phenomenal. I didn't bunk it. I just said, I, this is something that I saw and it, this is what it looked like to me. But if I'm, you know, if I've had that experience, it's very hard for me to be like, well, absolutely. No, that's not true. Like this other thing can't be true. It's like, I don't, I, that's where you have to be a little bit, you know, your skepticism has to be very open skepticism. I think at least to hear the stories, you know, I think if you research enough, you get into touch with stuff that's, you don't really feel as a question of whether you believe it or not. It's a question of whether you're like willing to accept it or not. UFOs, you know, um, uh, unidentified flying things in the air being something we'll relate to a lot and um, being one of them. Now it's not really debatable. Right. Like that, there, that, that something's going on. We don't know. hundred percent. Like Leslie Keen says in her book, um, UFOs, which by the way, came up before the New York times disclosure and the Tic Tac video and all that. She says, and I think it's the first page of the book, basically like whether there are things flying in the sky that the government admits are there and doesn't know what they are. That's not debatable anymore. That's a matter of fact. What you're asking is, do you believe in little ET green men flying them? That's an entirely different question. There's wormholes within wormholes in that stuff that, um, I can't wait. Let's put it that way. I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, we will stick our team into that. Um, this first episode of this show deals, I think, the first, the pilot's the possession case, correct? Um, yeah. I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to start kind of at the beginning, uh, at least in terms of like our culture and, and 
or, or certainly an early account that maybe has shaped the way we think about it in Western modern society. And that would be uh, actually from the Bible, Jesus dealing with a demon. And this comes from Luke. And I just thought this is interesting and, and kind of creepy when you read it. Uh, Jesus then went down to Capernaum, a town of Galilee. He taught them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teachings because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice when he saw Jesus, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down in front of them and came out of him without doing any harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is there about his word? For with authority and power, he commands an unclean spirit, and they come out. And news of him spread everywhere in the surrounding region. So I, I thought that was kind of a cool place to start, you know. Um, and I think that account, and then there's the famous one, too, about him casting demons into swine. And the swine, the pigs basically basically committing, you know, killing themselves. Uh, the, the spirits, he cast them out of a man and into swine, and the swine run off a cliff. And that's the famous one where they refer to themselves as legion, which we've seen right uh, in all kinds of movies and things like that. Right. And that was actually the formation of PETA too, I think was the. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, there was actually a PETA representative on set that day. (laughs) All pigs were harmed in the making of this miracle. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually true. Uh, So I just find that stuff. Like when I read that, I just get the chills and it takes me back in history. It just sounds so biblical and cool and, and uh, dangerous. And um, boy, it's just uh, mysterious. And they refer to themselves as, as us and we and Legion and them. It's just very creepy. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting how that differs in the little scratch of the surface reading that I've done on this stuff. Um, How, uh, it's different in different cultures. Like it seems to be um, uh, clearing out like dark spirits seems to be more of a, of a, of a common everyday thing and more in other, in, in other religions, like a more like routine practice. And it seems like more of a, of a Navy seal operation in the Catholic church where it's like kind of clandestine and not talked about a lot, but there's a lot of serious people who do it and believe in it. And I would guess that, now I don't know the stats, but I've got to assume that there has to be, we, we hear a lot about exorcisms, like the big cases where people got harmed or died in, in the process. Um, we don't probably hear the stats on what they would consider successful exorcisms. So I'd be interested to know, I would guess that there has to be what they would consider to be a, somewhat of a successful track record to have continued doing it. But I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know. And I, I don't, I do know that from what I've read there, the church is pretty, pretty diligent about having psychologists present like this show suggests um, and that they are really into trying to see if there's any other recourse to take before they try exorcism. Is, is that true? And you're in what you've heard the worst thing that could happen when you think about it to the Catholic church or to any faith based organization, I would suppose is you have something like this, you call it real and it turns out it's fake. Now, what do you do? Analogous to what I was saying, if you rely too much on things that, 
that you can't explain. The unexplained is proof of spirit or God. Be very careful with that because once it's explained, where, where are you then? Where's your faith then? You know, and 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 Jesus talked about that too. If you're a Christian, like he talks about, it's awesome you saw me do these things, but it can't be the basis of your faith because I ain't going to be here for a long time. You know, and there's not always pigs around, right? To cast out, exactly right. It's a damn pita. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen real pigs. Like, where am I going to see pigs? I'm in Brooklyn. You're not looking hard enough. Um, but you're right, Anthony. Uh, it it has been booming. As a matter of fact. The number of priests who perform this, you know, ancient and what some would call arcane procedure of exorcism has risen 10 times over a decade. And the exorcists were claiming that they were taking much longer too. the, you know, um, so the church does keep these things secret. There's a book I'm holding in my hands, Tony, called The Vatican's Exorcist, Driving Out the Devil in the 21st Century by Tracy Wilkinson. Now, Tracy was in the Rome Bureau for the Los Angeles Times, and her job was to direct just the news coverage of Italy and the Vatican and, and Mediterranean areas, Turkey, Greece, Spain. Um, and she's a foreign reporter. She's won awards. She, she covered the war in Bosnia, Kosovo. So she's a legit, you know, and she tried to gather as many stories as she could about what is it like in modern day for the exorcist. We know how it's been portrayed and stuff. So I, I just grabbed this one case because I thought it was interesting because the subject, the possessed person in this case is a doctor. Uh, Francesca, they call her in the book. She was a doctor. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this, Tony, because I think it's like a cool look into like how it really goes down. So this woman, Francesca, was a doctor at a small hospital in Italy's eastern region. She obtained her medical degree in 1997. She specialized in urology. Today, Francesca says she has been cured and back to work to a relatively normal life. She believes she wasn't the victim of a classic full demonic possession, she says, but rather had fallen prey to a demonic curse placed on her by a woman who coveted and eventually obtained her at that time fiance. Basically, ties almost a witch, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. What we were talking about before, a curse on her. And this show, actually, Evil, in, and I think the second episode goes through the different types of possession, uh, which is interesting. There's different categories of possession, which is fascinating. But Francesca, what makes her case especially interesting is that her psychiatrist sign off on her seeing an exorcist after exhausting almost every option of treatment. Right around the time of the curse, she was paralyzed. Her right arm was paralyzed. She thought she was having a stroke. Went to the doctor. It, go, it enumerates her various trips to the doctor, her tons of ailments in those early days, numbness in her hands and feet. Uh, she awoke with fierce headaches, certain as a doctor, uh, it's a cognitive, concrete diagnosis, a physical diagnosis she can get. Then she goes to a doctor and she, this is a little gruesome, so forgive me. And if you have children, you might want to not have them listen to this part. She begins immediately bleeding profusely from her genital area. She gets to three gynecologists, top in the field in Italy, no explanation, no explanation for any of these things going wrong with her. Doctors keep sending her home. She's getting sicker and sicker, more frustrated. Finally, someone she met told her, if you don't go to a priest, you're going to die. Francesca was totally against this, but you know, kind of at her wit's end, she starts consulting a priest. She says, I wasn't one to believe in that stuff. She calls stuff curses and magic and demonic possession. I'm a doctor. I'm a person of science. It comes to a head when she's at work. She tries to do something to a patient. She's having really bad thoughts. 
She's getting sick at the site. You know, all the telltale signs are starting to come up. She's getting sick at the signs of crucifixes and churches. And if someone mentions something to her religious, she starts weeping and wailing. She's at work. She tries to do something to a patient and her hands don't work. She said, the actual sensation I had was that my hands were being guided by someone else. And she quit her practice that day. She quits her job. She comes close to hurling herself out of the upper story window of her home. She was convinced that satanic cults had her in their sights and her sickness and bizarre things that were happening to her uh, were because they were invoking incantations against her. She finally, after working with a priest for some time, finds another priest by the name of Malingo. I cried a lot. He just let me talk, she says. But within minutes, she began to feel robbed of all her strength as he began to conduct an exorcism. Leave her in peace, he called out. She is not your daughter. She's a daughter of God. Slowly, Francesca found herself regaining control and felt that whatever was in her might be slowly leaving. From today, you begin a new life, Malingo told Francesca. Am I healed? She wailed. Absolutely not, he responded, as Francesca recalled later. But we will make sure you will be. It will, however, take time. And it did take time. He worked with her for, for some time, months, and it required brutal work, as she describes it. And she finally is pronounced cured by him. She has no more problems. She's practicing her practice again. She has a renewed now or a brand new faith. And she says at the end of this story, I am a changed person. Everyone in my family has changed. I used to go to church maybe only on Sundays. Now I pray every day, sometimes for hours. Just fascinating. So, um, but this book, details how careful the church is. They, they keep pushing her away to actual doctors. They don't want to start meddling with this stuff and have it be schizophrenia because they're done, right? Yeah, that I mean, it makes sense. It really does. Dr. Pier Domenico Ruggieri, a 62-year-old, had known Francesca since she was a little girl. He was a longtime family friend, and he was the psychiatrist that Francesca and her parents turned to when her unexplained troubles became really acute. Um, he had been practicing psychiatry for nearly 40 years and actually was the head of the Department of Psychology at the hospital uh, where they were, one of the largest towns in La Marche. Her overall condition, the symptoms she displayed and the experiences she described taken together defied categorization for this experienced psychologist. He said of the case, I would like not to believe in demonic possession, but I see things that have made me think. There are facts that you have to consider and that you cannot hide behind scientific, quote, blame. You cannot always explain everything with psychological analysis. To explain some things out of the ordinary, normal scientific perimeters are not enough. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it certainly is. I mean, it, 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 I mean, I guess it would indicate that uh, the, the people that suffer from these events are suffering from a heretofore undiscovered or un, unknown um, malady. That is a that is of you know very human proportions, but that we just don't understand yet because we don't. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that um, people who get to that level of of dysfunction as as either a possessed person or somebody who's suffering from some kind of mental <clears throat> a collapse or disorder, um, whatever it's going on, science doesn't have an answer for it. Right. It doesn't it doesn't it's it, it's it's not like psychologists are lining up to explain away all these 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 things that people are undergoing. But they basically do say, well, it's some form of uh, of, of mental condition. 
but they're but they're but that's kind of where it ends. So nobody really is giving any answers to what it is. I mean, I, I guess except uh, these various religions who who um, who seem to who seem to believe very strongly that these are actual demons or entities that people are encountering. And I guess some of the more open-minded psychologists would say that, uh, well, you know, whatever works. Like, if it's a placebo, then it and it works, then give them a placebo. And that's why I think there are some psychologists who are you wouldn't expect it, but are kind of eventually go, well, let's try an exorcism because it it may be psychologically the only thing that will affect this person because of some connection that they have to religion or to um, a religious figure telling them what to do. Exactly. Like, even if you don't believe in any of this stuff, if the patient does, and this is a psychological event, and a man wearing a white thing around his neck uh, saying incantations is enough to heal that person, I think any psychiatrist at a certain point would go, let's go. You know, the interesting thing is when you get into languages being spoken, like what, you know, and again, could be explained. The brain is a very powerful tool. Which we don't understand fully. So, Correct. I'm not saying this is proof of the divine. I'm not. Like I said at the beginning, I don't need these things for my faith. But, but evidence of something extraordinary, nonetheless. So that's what I always feel is so cool about this kind of talk and investigating this kind of thing is that so it's so you you don't want to you don't want to go down the demon route. It's not demons that's not the end of the conversation. Yeah, right. What is it? How can somebody be speaking Aramaic all of a sudden? Then what is it? Right, exactly right. Then what is it? That priest told me an incident um, you know, of a young person in the area of New York that you grew up in, Tony, straight A student, great kid, um started acting incontrollable, very very Linda Blairish. Uh he walked in that thing, he said, "Oh yeah, th- things are thrown at me." Um, I said, oh, by the go, no, no, no items, um, were thrown at me. You know, there was levitations. There were, I mean, just crazy stuff. And, and I remember him saying to me pretty nonchalantly, like, oh yeah, no, you know, paranormal is pretty common. Like spiritual interference is, is pretty common. The divine, absolutely rare. And to the other end of that, the demonic, absolutely rare. And I just remember going, ooh, and that's kind of all he said about it. And I was like, I didn't ask him anymore. They put these teams together. They really want to disprove it. If anyone wants to disprove it, it's the Vatican, right? Or it's the religious organization, uh, if they're smart, for obvious reasons that we've detailed before. And there's a book called The Vatican Prophecies, Investigating Supernatural Signs, Apparitions, and Miracles in the Modern Age. It's by John Thavis. He wrote The Vatican Diaries, which is a great book, too. I'd recommend them both if you're interested in this type of thing. And I just highlighted a little section of this because episode two of the show, which we're about to get into, deals in a miracle and the Vatican investigating a miracle or the church investigating a miracle. And if there's one thing that they take more seriously <laughs> trying to disprove than demonic possession, it's miracles. They seek non-believers or people who are not Catholics um, to be on these teams. So I just want to read you a little bit about a woman named Jacqueline Duffin, who was called upon by the Catholic Church to either validate or disprove a particular miracle that was being used by something called the Congregation for Saints' Causes. And I'm sure you could guess what that is, Tony. That's when they petition a saint to be a saint. Uh, Mother Teresa dies. A group of people 
get together because miracles happen around her after her death. And they say, she's a saint. Here's proof. And then the Vatican goes about the business of trying to basically disprove that. Because think about this. If, if you know, someone died, they canonize that person. And then it comes out that that person who was never known before, they find a diary, they find videotapes, and that person did horrible things, like really horrible. And they're a saint. What does the church do then? So they're super careful about this. So I want to read you about her process. This is, this is just real quick. Um, Jacqueline Duffin had never heard of Marguerite. This is the saint. When I say Marguerite, it's the saint they were putting up for sainthood. The woman, the nun, they were trying to canonize to make a saint. Jacqueline Duffin had never heard of Marguerite, had no knowledge of this particular clinical case and the miracle therein. She was not a Catholic or even a believer, all of which made her a perfect choice for this task. She was the objective observer par excellence, someone whose opinion Rome would have to take seriously, very much like the character Tony in the show we're about to review, the female doctor they bring on, right, to analyze these cases. Back to the book. And now she was starting to agree with what Marguerite's promoters had been maintaining all along. There was no medical explanation for the survival of this girl. The question she was asked by the panel as she testified at the tribunal of the archdiocese were technical and pointed, and Duffin was surprised at the great degree of detail she was required to provide. As always, the Vatican took its time evaluating any new evidence. Duffin has an idea now. Several hundred saints have been proclaimed since the Vatican established formal vetting procedures in 1588, which meant there was a file, if you will, on at least one miracle for each of them. It seemed impossible, but if she could obtain these documents, she'd have a history of modern miracles and a record of medical treatments over the last four centuries. For a medical historian like herself, this would be a gold mine. So this is cool. Listen to this. Duffer returns to Rome sometime later during her sabbatical, armed with a letter establishing her bona fides as a scholar. She went to the Vatican secret archives, and yes, they exist. And to her utter amazement, within an hour, she was reading the massive miracle files. They had all been preserved, neatly bound and undisturbed on the archive shelves. As she had suspected, the files contained detailed accounts of the medical science of every era, including sworn testimony from doctors about diagnosis, treatment, and cures. After researching for 10 years, in 2008, Duffin published a book titled Medical Miracles, Doctors, Saints, and Healing in the Modern World. What impressed her most in her research was the Vatican's insistence on consulting top-notch medical experts when it came to verifying miracles. The Catholic Church, she realized, did not want people to stop going to doctors so they could be healed by prayer. On the contrary, Vatican officials want to confirm that a patient had received the best possible medical attention, and that in spite of such care, the individual's condition was deemed hopeless from even a scientific point of view. So that's kind of how the Vatican rolls on these things in modern day society. Mm, yeah, yeah. That 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 is really interesting. It's so it's so fascinating that this has um, been going on for you know thousands of years, but that it's been going on in our modern society, in the church, and in various other religions and churches throughout the world, all this time, uh, and no one really, you know, and and even like The Exorcist is a is an it's one of the, probably the most famous. It's one of the more famous movies ever made, uh, horror movie or not. And, um, based on an actual case, um, and it really, uh, it never took off the way zombies did. Like people just don't want to really talk about it too much. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I guess, I guess 
it does make people uncomfortable. I, I can see why it's a, it would be a really, uh, it's a flashpoint of belief, I would imagine. And where some people would see an exorcism and a last, last chance for someone, another person could see, you know, a terrible abuse of authoritarian power, um, and, uh, and a person victimized by uh, a, a patriarchal system, which, which I'm sure has happened. That's the other thing. I mean, uh, organizations mishandle things. Churches have mishandled things. Um, I'm sure there are cases where um, things didn't go right, or things were tried to, uh, were covered up. Um, so it's a giant, it's a giant, fascinating mess, and relies so heavily on on things like faith and belief, even for non-believers. And that's, I mean, I think to loop into the show, that's a great hook point to, to start talking about this, this TV show. Do, do you want, are you, are you finished? Are you done professor? Well, I'm sorry. My God. It was like Indiana Jones was teaching Sunday school. Finally. He's like, listen, you and your guys go to Sunday school. Well, sit down. I just find, you know, like the fact that you and I, Tony, could walk, well, we can't, but that we could in some realm of reality walk into the Vatican archives and these things exist on the papers from the Middle Ages and they're preserved. I mean, that to me is like, that's Nicolas Cage, uh, you know. Have you have you been to the Vatican? I never have. I never have. I have a problem with some of that. I was at the Vatican uh, years ago when I was working in Italy. And uh, it's, you know, having been there, I have no trouble believing that there's a room full of those manuscripts. Like, that's that's easy. I buy that. Yeah. You go there and you're like, oh, there's a room for everything here. This <laughs> is like yeah. the biggest place right. I've ever seen. Right. I, as a Christian, I struggle with a lot of that um, pomp and circumstance and the gilded goldness of it, especially with what's happened in the last two decades with priests. You're smart to you're smart to uh, be thoughtful about it. I think. Well, it's it's not the Jesus that I understand. I'll put it that way. Um, but anyway, that's a whole. <laughs> let's let's move on from that. Um, and and so yeah, I'm done. I'm sorry. I, is there anything you'd like to add? I know you did research on this stuff. No, you don't have to apologize. This is interesting, and I think we could talk about this. Like, I would like this conversation, like the UFO conversation, to be an ongoing one for this show. Um, cause I think it's a foundational thing for us, you know, like I think it's, it's found, certainly foundational for you, for me, UFOs is like, that's the main, that's the main pool of interest for me. Um, but I, I want to learn more about it. Um, particularly after finding out that it's in every culture, it's just fascinating. This TV show, um, I'm just going to break it. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for a change. Like, did this speak to you in a in a respectful manner about this topic or or do you feel that this is um cashing in on some hot button issues for some quick money what do you think maddie did you just steal my uh, impossible question to answer bit i did oh, i did because this is your this is this is if there was a show for us to turn the tables it would be this one well i'll tell you tony right after this break
We're talking about Evil, the Netflix streaming show. Tony, you've posed the question to me. I got through two episodes and could not watch anymore. I decided not to watch anymore. Wow. Yeah. It's a beautifully shot. I love the cast. This is not, I'm not, I'm not attacking anyone. For me, this show is wildly offensive. Wow. It's basically just copying the SVU Law and Order map of things. You get presented a case. They wrap it up by the end. A spiritual procedural um, in super overly simplistic ways that I just found offensive to me. And that's just me. And shoehorning in everything from race to supposed scientific points of view. You know, the, the leads in this show, one of the leads in the show constantly in the two that I was able to get through, um, gives these well-crafted arguments for science, basically, or that these things can't exist. And the priest character goes, oh, shucks, I know. Well, I'll pray for you anyway. I'm like, that's just, okay, so this show has an agenda. That's fine. But if you're going to really do a show about this stuff, let's hear the centuries of theology and thought by brilliant people that have gone on to this stuff. Let's hear some of what I just read. You know, let's hear some of that. Not, hey, this is SVU Law and Order. It was just a blip on the videotape. Or maybe it wasn't. Well, clearly it was medically explainable, but we're going to leave the blip on the videotape unexplained just to let you know that maybe it could have happened. I just find it, I just don't think it's the format for this stuff. I don't, I just don't think it is. And way too slick, way too cutesy, way too disrespectful to the topic. In my opinion. Wow. Okay. You are really throwing them hard today. I told you I was going to have fastball. Damn. You said this is my foundational topic. <laughs> it is. You know, I feel like uh, this is like after I saw The Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and people were like, what'd you think? It's a movie about Hunter Thompson. Oh, I know what you think about Hunter Thompson. So, oh. Um so interesting wow you have a strong reaction to this show i personally want to continue acting in show business so i won't um, <laughs> they're not gonna cast me i won't that. be saying anything at all about any shows that are being currently produced first of all it, it isn't a netflix show just to be clear this show was originally a, net, a network show 2019 network show and Netflix picked it up and I think it's getting a second season. I think maybe because of that, I'm not sure, but I do think it's coming back or there's a second season already done. Um, wow. We're, we're kind of splitting here. My friend, I was, uh, really kind of worried about this one. Um, I, uh, I'm not a big TV guy. I'll just say it right out. I'm a, I'm much more of a movie fan. Uh, I, my go-to entertainment is movies. Always has been. There's been shows that I love and get addicted to over the years, but much more likely to be into a movie than a show. Um, and if I'm going to get into a show, it's usually not going to be a network show for whatever reason. Um, don't, you know, nothing disparaging really about it. I feel like network shows have to hit a really big audience and to do that, they have to sometimes water their content down um, or let's face it. They always kind of do have to water it down a little bit to, to make it palatable for such a giant audience. Sm streaming shows, smaller audience shows can be a little bit more daring because they don't have to appeal to everybody. They just have to appeal to hardcore horror fans or 
true crime fans or whatever the genre is. Um, so that as a preamble, I have to say I was actually really pleasantly surprised with this show. Um, I, I, uh, was expecting to really not enjoy it. Um, even though it was created by the people that created the good wife, which was a, a well done show. Um, you know, again, a network show, not a kind of show that I usually would watch. I would watch a horror anthology show rather than a network, uh, show about a procedural. That's just the way I, 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 I like my entertainment, but all that being said, when my, when I was surprised at how I think I'm going to say it, I think they're pretty elegantly talking about this very issue of where is our belief? How does our, how, how do we talk about our belief systems together today? Um, and I think for doing it for a mainstream audience, it is it is doing something kind of interesting, I thought. I I also I think it's engagingly made and I'm a big enough fan of Katya Herbers, I think is the her name, the star of the show. I think she's fantastic, just personally on a on an acting level. I think she's an amazing actor and really brings that that part a lot, makes it really watchable. Um, I like the cast. It's a good cast of really talented New York actors for the most part. And I think what I like about it, what I, what I, what grew on me about it. And I've seen, I don't know how many episodes you've seen. How many have you seen? Let me just admit here. I've only watched two and maybe the show does do the things that I, I think it doesn't eventually. And, but I realize like, and, and we're not critics, but I realize that sometimes people review things on a pilot, right? They have to, right? So I just went with that. And I just said, I'm not, I'm not ready to watch any more of these right now. That's honestly how I usually go because I don't watch a lot of shows. I'll see a pilot or a couple episodes and then talk, and walk away. But, you know, um, we kind of got a little bit hooked on it and we kind of enjoyed it. So we watched more and, and it kind of grew on me. So I, I think that I'm not saying it's going to answer all your problems, I'm not going to say that it doesn't um, have a network vibe to it so that some of it's going to feel wrapped up and a little cute maybe. Um, but I think that it, it consistently does something that I think is really interesting and that it, it, the show is called evil and it doesn't necessarily say it's about demonic possession or the church just happens to be about a, a guy who's trying to be a priest but it's as much about the world of psychology, you know, and being a being a mom and dealing with being a professional. Per I mean, there's a lot of aspects to this show. Asif Manvi's character, um, he's kind of like a really practical kind of blue collar kind of guy who who has his own his own kind of philosophy about life. She has a her own. Everybody has this coming from a slightly different place. But what I really think is interesting is that what I think the show's after. And maybe it's only clear a little bit further into the season than you got is that the evil they're talking about is a subtle or evil is a subtle evil that's lurking in all of these characters. I started to feel like the, the, the possessed people, the, 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 the demonically possessed or the p potentially demonically possessed people who we think the show is kind of about are really a red herring that they're actually being, they're as they're potentially as victimized by the demonic 
aspects of this as they are by the by the human banal psychological components of it by by the way that systems work and the way that the the way that the judicial system is designed it just seems to leave all these open windows for evil to be done and for characters to do these small maybe not evil things but morally compromised things every character is being pushed and compromised and tested in some interesting way um that i thought started to kind of grow on me and i thought maybe this is where it's going and i haven't finished the season either so i went from being on the fence and then kind of well, enjoying the first couple episodes more than i thought i would to then kind of thinking oh maybe this is smarter than i thought it was even in the beginning um so i'm not I'm I'm going to finish the season and I I'm I'm I I kind of I'm kind of I'm really honestly surprised Maddie. I mean I thought I I I figured you'd think it was a network show and that it had certain for you things about it that were a little too family friendly maybe or whatever but they also they also have some pretty chilling things in it. There's some ideas in it that are kind of spooky. And as it goes, it gets spookier. There's some things that, that happen that tie the characters together more that uh, I'm enjoying and I don't want to give stuff away, but I will try to finish the season and I will come back on here and say, you know, boy, I, I judge it too early, but as it stands now, I just feel you were like, no way. I love it. Well, listen, I, I have a prejudice. I have a bias, an internal bias on this stuff. And I admit it. And it, it might be that clouding, but I, I just can't get over it. Like you saying about when someone does something about Hunter S. Thompson, it better be right, right? It better be right. And so I here's my problem. I'll make it very succinct and very simple. I agree with you. Again, love the cast, love the performances. That guy from Lost who plays the evil guy is great. Oh, Leland, the guy who plays Leland. Oh my God, he's Michael Emerson. So scary. Michael Emerson, and I, I've I've bumped into him in waiting rooms and voiceover auditions. He's so sweet. So keep that in mind. I can't praise you guys enough. But here's my problem. This show brings up very complex theological questions. And it asks very adult questions about these things. And it lays out arguments on one side of that. The return argument is to get childhood faith back, to get just, do you believe or not? I'll pray for you. And that to me is so wildly inappropriate. Now it's their show. They can do what they want, but I can also say, if you're going to raise those questions, give me a well thought out, cogent theological response to that. It feels unfair. It feels like someone laying down, you know, jokes at me and, and, and saying bad things to me and then going like, Hey, it's a comedy show. <laughs> it's a network show. Don't, don't worry about it. It's like, well, let me answer. Well, that's that's interesting. I, I, I some of the things that you're complaining about, I can see why you'd have a problem with it. The I guess the lens I was looking at it through were the things that that he, that the things that he say that sound pat. I'm starting to feel are supposed to be pat. That that's on purpose. I think he's developing into be a much more compromised person than you think in the first two episodes. Well, they do in, in the end of the second episode, they do show a little bit of his past. He takes some drugs and, th you know, so you go, okay. But you, the, 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 this is the thing though. That's his thing. He takes drugs that hit, and this isn't giving away too much. It happens in the first two episodes. He, you, you realize he's a guy who said he has visions, right? 
And then you realize at the end of the second episodes that the visions are brought on by hallucinogenic drugs that he goes to, like to get at a club. And he, you think he's actually just getting like heroin or something. And he's, it's not, it's some form of it's salvia or, or, you know, or mushrooms or whatever. I don't know what he gets. He makes a tea out of it, lies down and starts to dream these hallucinations. And that's where he gets these visions from. I now, now, just from your average TV goer who's like interested in, you know, hallucinogenic drug culture stories and all of that, that was fantastic for me. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's pretty brave on network television, you know, to to show this guy who says he's a priest who's living in a rectory, who, who, who runs this whole organization that that goes to buy illegal psychotropic drugs and bases his entire philosophy of the church on that. I was like, if you're will, if they're willing to. To do that, I was willing to go on the ride. And I can see where they failed you. Well, no, I don't care. I love like the broken priest thing. I love all that. I love challenging. Listen, I'm a guy, I read Richard Dawkins. I, you know, the more I, I want to know the other side, I want to know it. My point is, there are very complex and very brilliant people who've spent millennia wrestling with these questions. And I feel like this show does two things at once and it's a, kind of an unfair game. You know, they they raise these very serious questions. And to me, it's like a childish, like, a ch- I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but like a childish theological argument is bad things happen, so there's no God. And then the ch- just as childish as saying, well, the earth is 6,000 years old because the Bible tells me so. It's like, those are just children fighting over the theology of a child. So if you're gonna, so if you're gonna make, you know, a show that deals with these things. I just feel like, well, give me the other side too. I want to hear that priest character. I want to hear that priest character really get into it. Well, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. And I understand that, you know, bad things happen to good people, but to me, that's way overly simplistic. And here's why, and really get into it and talk about, you know, if you're going to talk about possession, let's talk about it. And it just, it's, it's cutesy at times. It's funny, it's tongue in cheek. And then it raises this really powerful question of faith, God or no God, theology, no theology. She lays it out and says, well, this can't be because of science, because of this and that and this and that. And then again, the response they get back is, well, shucks, you know, pray, I'll pray for you. You either believe or you don't. I'm like, nope, that is not my reality. I've I've worked through all this stuff. I got, I got a list of people that, that these writers can have on and advise on a great argument uh, on the other side of this stuff. I, okay. I bet you do. And I, and I think it's just amazing that, that you, you, that this is, this is the show that fired you up. I, because we approach this from such a different, different angles. I think I was, I was like, this was like homework for me. And you were excited. You were like, oh, finally a show on network television that's going to deal with the stuff that I'm really interested in. And I was like, oh my God, a network show that's going to be a soap opera about this. I can't. And then like, literally we just, our planes just cross trajectories as we were watching the show, because I was like, Oh, this is mildly entertained. I'm entertained. This is actually going to be okay. I can watch this show. And you were like, I cannot stand the fact that they're not taking this seriously enough. And, and so it's just stuff you've studied though, and have a lot of knowledge about and don't feel the show is respecting that, that those deeper aspects of what you love. Well, you're getting a network view of it. That's that's solved by the end, like SVU. You know, it's that's not how it works. 
I was a X-Files fan when that show was on television and its first seasons and stuff. And I, I, I always, I, I love that, that setup for a show. So it has elements of things I really dig in a show. It's got ghost hunting in it. It's got, you know, stuff that reminds you of the omen in it, you know, a movie I love. I, I, it's got, um, a nod to Scooby-Doo stuff, but it's also really kind of paranormal stuff at the same time. Um, and, uh, it's playing a long game with the, uh, with the Leland character that I'm, I'm interested in. I, 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 no, Leland is the other psychologist, is the creepy bad guy. And they go places in the show with him that are really fun. And that develops. And I think, you know, it's a show that's finding just, just as a show. Now, aside from, you know, the philosophy behind it that, that uh, we could just, we, we actually kind of agree on, but I gave it a pass kind of. Um, it, it It is interesting to watch a show get, better in the first season the way that this is getting showing itself to be well enough cast and thoughtfully enough presented um for instance the f- stuff with her family which i usually will feel like is a waste of my time in a show when i get to go home and have dinner with and, and learn everybody's story it's like i don't care about i don't want to see a soap opera just let's see what the plot what's happening next i feel like that stuff is engaging enough and Katya Herbers is, is a really good enough actor and her children who are cast, the kids that, that are her daughters in it. She's got like five daughters who are like the minions and they, they, they come in and out of scenes and they're all over talking and talking over each other. I think they're adorable. I think they're really, really well cast her and Christine Lottie, I think is good in it. I believe, I believe there's a family there. Like I believe her story. So every time they cut to this, it doesn't feel like they're just treading water or vamping through yet another single mom on television trying to be a professional, which we've seen a billion times. I feel like they're making something kind of original out of that and something that's worth me watching as well as as this um, Supernatural things. And they're tying them in together. They're slowly starting to make the show feel more intricate. Now I'm five or I'm seven episodes in. So I've seen more than you. And um, I think that, you will probably continue to be disappointed because of what you're talking about. But I think if you, if you have no skin in the game on that, on that end, um, it does, it's, it's, it's trying to do some interesting things structurally to create kind of um, a creepy supernatural late night procedural, which I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be prone to watching that kind of show. That, that's a sweet spot for me. I will, I'm going to commit to trying to finish it too. And, and I, I can't, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they do open it up. Um, but we'll see. You're going to hate it. You're going to, oh no, you're going to hate it. You're going to continue to hate it. Cause they, they, you know, it gets, it gets, you know, I think when, I think, you know, and I think this is potentially a fault of the show and, you know, I know you feel this way and I, I could see like every time they cut to this church and the priests in the church, it starts to feel a little bit like, outtakes from the second indiana jones movie it's like you know it doesn't feel very real and i think that um that it's possible to have both i think that you know this definitely for me would be a show i'd be like p for paranormal absolutely everybody has to see it if it was 
as terrifying as The Exorcist and as much like a documentary as that movie and took it as seriously as that movie did. Um, but um, I don't know. For me, it's been a good pandemic experience and a, and it takes me out of my my apartment. And uh, it's a network sh- surprise network show that I've kind of like um, it's it's working on me the way that, <laughs> that I think they, the makers wanted it to work on me. Um, well, that actually makes me happy. That really, really does. And, and I'd be inclined to put it on the shelf just if it, if it takes someone who's on the fence about paranormal topics, maybe to check it out because they'll enjoy it, I guess. Uh, but I, it, it won't be on my shelf. I'm not even going to let look at my shelf after the rest of the episode. <laughs> oh no, we can't look, this is this one shelf. We don't each get a paranormal uh, shelf. Right, so Somebody has to uh, give on this. Do we, we've split before we've split before you've said no. I've said yes. You've said yes. I've said no. Here we go. I've got an out for myself. I'm willing to acquiesce because I've only seen two episodes and because I've got, I admit such confirmation bias. I admit such a bias on this topic that it's clouding all the good performances, which again, I think are all great. I think it's very well done. I think it's the wrong forum for the, for the way, for the things they're bringing up. I think a procedural doesn't necessarily work for this stuff, but I'm willing to, to let go of that because I've only seen two and uh, I'm not a monster. <laughs> I hope you continue to be enraged as you watch it. And that in a few weeks when you finish it, maybe we have a review and cap up where we actually decide whether this gets on the shelf or not. I hope you're tortured about it and angry and, and that it, it bothers you for weeks. I do. <laughs> All right. We'll leave this one. We're going to leave this on the coffee table by the wine and then we'll decide in a week. I was so ner- I was nervous about this because honestly, you know, not that I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not, I haven't been working on television a lot this year in case anyone has noticed. <laughs> mostly we've been reviewing stuff that's a little older than you know like the, but to review something that's kind of a, a current hot show that you know like if if we got an audition for uh, i'd feel very weird like if i was like you for instance if i had come out saying oh i hate it well I have no fear of that because I, I, if I was making that show, I'd be like, let's bring this guy on as advisor. We're missing, we're missing a huge swath of potential audience who are, we can, we can really make this show better. You have a lot, you you feel better about yourself than I feel about myself. <laughs> no, I have no fear of that because that side of my career is uh, on indefinite hiatus. Not my choice, by the way. <laughs> well, maybe I'm absolutely foolish to be concerned about it at all. No, I think of it too. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, like, I was relieved getting through the through the two episodes and feeling like, oh, I don't have to, you know, because I, I really would. I was wrestling with like, oh, OK, if I really don't like this, I'm going to have to be honest and risk it. But luckily, I was like, oh, I actually it didn't offend me. It seems to, something about it seems to offended you, which I get because I've been there with other projects that similarly, like I said, with fear and loathing. I've come around a little bit on that film because I'm a Terry Gilliam fan and I know what he did, but it's not, that's not my Hunter Thompson. And that really bothered me. I mean, that movie really can, I can get, you give me a couple drinks and I'll go, I'll go off on it. Did it have the feeling? Let me personify this. Like I had the feeling it's like when you saw, when you know, or passionate about something and somebody portrays it, but it's being portrayed as like truth. It's that feeling of like alone in your room, raising your hand, going, wait, hold on. No, no, no. You know, and you're just yelling empty space. That's how I felt watching this. Yeah. You know, Hunter Thompson is somebody who I've, I've studied and, and, and adore. I've, I've just like, he's a kind of a hero of mine. 
not personally, not somebody I condone his actual human behavior, but just what he represents in his writing and his his contribution to to the country, which is big. Um, I felt the movie disrespected him. I felt that it it by not by never ever talking about what a huge contribution he made and how important he was. The, the the movie turned into a weekend lark about guys who just did drugs. And that's not who he, that's not the exclusive story. And in fact, it was so much more important and so politically important and so crucial what he was doing during in real life during that weekend. The not talk about it at all was, I thought, not only misrepresented, but it was disrespectful and untruthful and, um, and meant they didn't really care about Hunter. They, they just wanted to, they just wanted to make money off of his buffoonery and the worst parts of him, not 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 his best parts. So it bothered me. You know, I think it's an unfair fight. That's all. As portrayed. I feel like they're making they're just decided to make a different kind of show than anything you would have ever condoned. And that I don't mind the show they're making, because if it were about something I had a lot of skin in the game for, I'd be I'd be pretty angry too. But I I got to say your, your opinion about it is affecting my opinion. Like I don't, I really don't want to fight for this being on the shelf because you would know better about whether it's, it's a, you're more of an authority on this thing than I am. Yeah. You're better informed. You're much better informed. I mean, I think you, your reaction is, is based on, on being informed. Whereas I'm just enjoying, I'm just on a, you know, well, I know better about my biased opinion. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know better about these things. Uh, I just think I just feel strongly about it. Doesn't mean I'm, I, I would say, can I say this? I, I, my reaction is based on, uh, I wouldn't even say informed. I'd say it's something that I've spent a large portion of my adult life giving deep and serious thought to and wrestling with these ideas and so to see it done like this, it just, if, if they're only going to present one side of it, then I get a little like, come on, man, let's, it would just make it a better show to me. It would make it a more challenging show. It's a missed opportunity. I gotcha. Do you think though that, that, and this is like completely sideline question, but do you think that if you were, I mean, I think in a way the audience for it may be like girls, the age of her daughters in some, in some way. And like teenage, teenage girls. I don't, I don't know if they're watching this show. I don't know, but I feel like it's for a younger audience, but, but it's an adult show for a younger audience in a way. I don't know if that's, if that's realistic or not, but if this show inspired like a 14 year old to actually start reading about this stuff and getting into it, maybe that would be a good launch pad for them. Maybe. You think I would hope so. Although I don't see what person would watch this who to me, it's, it's an advertisement or a reinforcement of those again, wildly simplistic answers to deep questions. Like if you can't prove it scientifically, then then the answer is pray for us. I'm like, no, that's not the only answer. You know, people aren't that simplistic in their faith and their theology. So I, I don't know who would see this show and, and want to challenge themselves. For me, it would reinforce the kind of spiritual malaise that's going on right now, the, the distancing themselves from quote unquote religion or theology or just be like, yep, th- those people are crazy, wacky Catholics and believers, I think. Well, I, get, I mean, you make a case for, for, for the believers having much you know, better, more reasoned scientific reasons to do what they're doing than is presented in the show 
Christians started scientific exploration. Like we we've gotten this horrible. Oh, don't get me started. We we've got this whole horrible thing going on in America right now with faith, where it's like this somehow these this small portion of Christians. I'll probably delete most of this, but you know, have taken over the conversation. It's like, hold on. There's a vast and complex theology that celebrates science, you know, and, and it's not an either or thing. It's not, well, this condition proves that this was not a miracle because we can scientifically identify it. Everyone's agreed almost by the rules now. And I'm going, wait a second, the rule, your agreement's wrong. <laughs> it's not an either or thing. And I'm not trying to convert anyone because, by the way, the non-believers could be absolutely right. We might just be biology. We might just be flesh rocks that somehow organize themselves. That could be true. I don't know. But there's another possibility too. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just want to hear that argument a little bit more well laid out, that side of it. All right. Well, we won't be seeing you on, on primetime television. We know that. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you're going to have a great career. I, I know you'll have a good career no matter what you do. I wish you the best of luck. I, I can't work with you anymore uh, for obvious reasons. But um, I, dist I distance myself from you uh, socially. And, uh, and, uh, but but I, I'm a big fan. I think you're great. Well, now I'm in trouble because my, uh, my legit auditions are going to go from zero to minus zero. Now you'll probably get a lot of work just by being yourself, just by speaking your truth. People will respect you and they won't respect me. They'll think that I'm a kiss ass and um, <laughs> that I'm just saying things to get health insurance, which is probably true. Well, it's a good move nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's, look, I have my priorities. So uh, I leave it off the shelf. You leave it on. We'll rediscuss. We're going to we table this conversation. All right. All right. All right. You're the best. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, you can check out our main page. Just go to anchor.fm slash Rated Paranormal. Follow us on social media at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Galdens Jr. Give him a follow at Kid Riga on Instagram. That's at K-I-D-R-I-G-A. This podcast was created, produced, written, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. Rated P for Paranormal is powered by Anchor. Hey, you a podcast guy? 